VAR's reign of terror is over and we have delicious helpings of real life football for you. Just three days before the Community Shield, you're listening to the Football Ramble. It's Wednesday, 4th of August. I'm Kate Mason. I'm Luke Moore. And I'm Jim Campbell. So we're going to do our vocal warm-ups today as a part of the episode, I reckon, because as we know, <laughs> Luke Moore's just been sitting very quietly talking to only himself in his head. Is that right, Luke? That's, there's no change there. It's just Aww. sometimes I do that on my own, sometimes I do that in the studio. I don't think anyone listens, I just do it. And it's so far so good. So I thought we could go into our round of three lions, you know, just for the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> where's that come from listen you're in the transition period now yeah. you're in what Jim would you're in what Jim would call the football season perineum um and you're gonna have to make a transition between um international football and club football as, as smoothly as possible so we can't be going back regressing into three lines chat you know you know because that'll be that'll be here again before you know it in November so you don't want to you want to leave that well alone so it feels new again when you hear it the first time Right. I heard that um, I heard that um, in the current negotiations at Harry Kane's in at Spurs with his mm. brother, I heard mm. that when there was a little bit of a lull in the conversation, Charlie Kane didn't know what to say, so he just started going, "It's coming home, it's coming home." Come on, everybody! Yeah. And tried to heal some yeah. rifts, but it didn't yeah. work. And then Harry's going, "No, no, Charlie, the thing I I don't I want to leave. I don't want to come home. That's, the, <laughs> that's exactly the problem here." Yeah. What Charlie advised Harry to do was to go into the meeting with just dressed in his full England kit with the captain's armband on. He said that they'll definitely respect you if you do that and it'll all be fine. Given, yeah. Luke, that you clearly have such extraordinary insight into player yeah. negotiations at Tottenham, I'm actually feeling a bit pissed off you don't bring this kind of, this kind of cultural understanding more deeply into yeah. the ramble normally. I know that to be a fact. I've got it on good authority. Hashtag here we go. Hashtag please um, subscribe to The Athletic. Oh, we carry all sorts of ads these days, don't we, lads? Uh, Let's talk then about this uh, VAR. They fixed it. They fixed it. And that's the really important thing we want to get across uh, in the run-up to the new season. As the two of you said, we've got to leave international football behind where VAR seemed to be actually on balance. I think we we could all agree comparatively quite good certainly in, they knew how in, to work it yeah it's certainly they? in relation to the to the premier league it felt like it was timely you know still some some mistakes some questions up for grabs but ultimately it didn't feel like it was charging into view every fucking game just to like piss yeah. everyone off and be inept uh so anyway that's that we've left that behind we're now gonna have perfect VAR in the Premier League. We understand, or we've been told, that the use of VAR will be dialled back and it's not going to be used to penalise trivial things. Now, the argument you could make is that all things in football are fundamentally trivial, Luke, but I'm not I'm not necessarily going to go down It's my career you're talking about. <laughs> Am I? <laughs> talking about trivial things? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, do you want to hear the criteria that they're changing? You can say um, no you, if you want. Do you want me to honestly answer that? Yeah, no. <laughs> Jim, do you want to hear the criteria? Yeah, go on. I, I, I have to say, when you, you see them talking about things being dialed, dialed, dialed back, I was like, mm. they aren't, they're not putting this on dial-up, are they? They're not making it more like, they're trying to streamline it by making it a bit more old school and even uh, less reliable. Yeah, but, but, but please do tell us the new criteria so we okay. can kind of pinpoint exactly how they'll mess this up as well. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, they specifically, what it sounds like is that they've spoken to some proper football men and so they're putting proper football chat into it about proper fouls. The main thing that, that is seeming to be focused on is spot kicks, I guess, because those are the sort of things that people get the most agitated about. So they're sort of playing playing to the gallery already, which in my view, it seems like a bit of an odd thing to do. So the three criteria uh, for awarding a spot kick are the degree of contact experienced by the attacking player, then the consequence of that contact, and finally the motivation of the attacker in reacting to the challenge. So they're going to be interpreting motivation. It's a lot of work, that, isn't it? Yeah, yes. in a split second. But they're very skillful, so it'll be fine. I mean, I, yeah, I would favour the idea... Sorry, Jim, I'd favour the idea of um, watch it happen and decide whether it's a foul or not. Right. And if it is a foul, give a penalty. If it's not a yeah. foul, don't give a penalty. Because to me, it feels like I've bought a kitchen gadget that I don't really know how to work. And it sits in my kitchen tape, my kitchen side, never being used. Mm. And I think about fixing it, and what's ever just happened is someone's just whacked a lot of gaffer tape around it, and it's still the same thing that I have no understanding of how it works or what it's even for. Um, and it's quote unquote improved. When it's not improved, it's just been made more complicated. They don't need to do it. They don't need to make it more complicated. They need to just basically decide whether if that is is that is that challenge a foul anywhere else on the pitch. If it is, give a penalty. If it isn't, don't. What you're doing is giving people a load more things to think about, um, which is clearly, by definition, going to make everything more complicated. I don't, know, I don't know how you feel, Jim, but that's what it feels like to me. Well, I think this is perhaps, or the intention of it is a step in the direction of trying to make that happen, isn't it? Because Mike Riley says... Um, um, contact on its own is only part of what referees should look for. They should also ask themselves if yeah. the contact, ha contact, contact has a consequence. It's not sufficient just to say, and this I think is the important bit, it's not sufficient just to say, yes, there's contact. I think partly we got into that frame of mind by the forensic analysis that went into VAR awards. And I, th I think that's right. That whole, and, and it, I think that kind of dovetails with, with what you're saying, Luke. Suddenly, for some reason, the players get into the box and no one can tell what a foul is anymore. It's like, oh, well, there was yeah. contact. Yeah. And it's like, it just it just needs to be treated as it is elsewhere on the pitch. And I, I think this is a step in the right direction of trying to solve that. But essentially by giving the referees a series of riddles to solve every time they look at a challenge. <laughs> one, one VAR official can only tell the truth and the other one can only lie. And you've got to work out which one is to, to pass to get the penalty. And uh, if you don't, you fall into the bog of eternal stench. I, th I think it's... What, what to me is the red flag in all of this, um, you know, aside from that, you know, pushing that painful analogy I used earlier to, to one side, is that Mike Rolly's talking about forensic mm. um, analysis that has gone into VAR in the past, right? And how that's not helpful. Well, you've introduced like 5 million cameras to look at incidents individually in real time. And so how on earth are you going to square the circle of saying, here's all this equipment to make the analysis forensic and then say, but we're not going to use it forensically. Well, then what are you using it for? You know, you either need to, 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 to massively amend the laws of the game to, to accommodate this new technology or you really just need to admit that you made a mistake and it's too and it's gone too far and that we need to go back to basics. And I think this kind of half-assed attempt to go half back to basics but add a load more detail on top to make it, you know, apparently easier for referees is not going to make it easy. It's going to make it harder for them and it's also going to make it more complicated. And, and I thought I thought that um correct me if I'm wrong here, you guys, but I thought that um one of the reasons that it apparently works so well 
in the Euros and if we go back a bit further in the World Cup a, a few years before is because the amount of staff being used on it was higher. And I'm pretty sure the Premier League said they aren't going to do that. And the reason it's taken so long is because they haven't got as many staff looking at different things. So I don't see how that's going to amend one of the biggest bugbears that football fans have about it, which is that it takes mm. too long. And this it ultimately is... doesn't get you to the right decision anyway. Sorry, Jim, but one, one final thing. There are certain things in football laws that will always be open to interpretation because of how the laws are written. Yes. You're not going to change that unless you change how the laws are written. They're not definitive. A lot of it's down to referee interpretation. A lot of leagues around Europe, for example, are refereed differently from country to country. You can't put something and layer it over the top and say this is going to fix everything because it won't. What I find really frustrating about it is that um, for the Premier League to just get more staff is is very, very straightforward, surely. Even if it means training more people, like they they have the, the budget to do that. There's, you know, money is essentially no, ob no object. And it, it goes back to this sort of arrogance that we've seen from the, the English institutions quite a lot, that like we have an example of how, it, how to, to do it properly. And rather than just do that, they've like, oh, we'll do our own <laughs> sort of workaround. Like there is a perfect yeah. blueprint, perfect template there. Just do that. Just do okay. that. Just do the same thing. I don't, I don't know how you feel about this, Kate, because you are traditionally much more uh, intelligent than me, so you probably understand this better than me. But I don't understand also the the explanation that's been given around offsides as well. Like they, they say, they're saying that um, they're going to thicken the lines and they're going to not be as forensic with it and stuff. Yeah, but clearly they, they've let the genie out the bottle with that now, yeah. right? Because last season it was offside, and now apparently re uh, assistant referees are being told to flag straight away, which goes against the whole point of it. Because yeah. if the assistant referee makes a, a wrong decision and the game presumably stops, or the players at least stop because they see the flag go up, yeah. if it turns out they weren't offside, are they going to continue? It's just all very, very complicated. And you remember when, when I talked to Sean Massey, she was saying about how they've had to change the way they referee. You know, they had to think yeah. about it. Instead of instinctively Surely. going, that's offside, they had been told to to re-referee or to be slower effectively so that they could wait for the VAR to happen. But the, the point you make about offside generally, Luke, and this is this is something that I think a lot of clarity has been lost, ironically enough, uh, in amongst all of this, is that offside, the idea is that it's either offside or not. That's not a debate. Whereas these other things that we're talking about are more like referees call, whether it's the VAR or whether it's the on-field referee. The point about offside is it's supposed to be, you know, it's just a line. This is not subjective. Here's the mm. line. If we're on or if we're off, then that's, you know, you may not agree. There may be this question about, but the problem is with the forensic analysis is the question about pixels, you know, like because the cameras that they're using. Frame rates as well. Exactly, frame rates. And you know when you're getting into frame rates, you're a bit screwed. So I actually think <laughs> the use of the lines, the thicker lines, that actually does serve some purpose, partly to just still debate a little bit in the people watching the games right Jim because if you, yeah. you you don't need to see this in tiny little line that ultimately may not be correct at the moment the ball was actually struck because the cameras that VAR are using are not the same quality as the whatever it's called now ultra high super flying definition thing that you have on your actual telly yeah um I, apparently it was used in the Netherlands they they had they brought in the thicker lines themselves because um they found it really annoying the sort of armpits being offside and stuff. So I was just like, oh, forget this. We'll just do it our own way. Um, and apparently that worked really well. And uh, apparently, uh, is it 20 goals that Mike Riley said uh, yeah. would have, would, would from last season? It's the toenails uh, thing. Would not yeah, have yeah, been yeah. chalked off. And I think like when you actually take a step back from that, 
it, that is absolutely scandalous when you when you look at how poorly VAR has been Im- implemented in the past season. Twenty goals, the entire point of the sport really were chalked off. I mean, that would you, I, you know, I don't I don't have what goals they are in front of me, or, and I haven't done the maths on the, on the points tallies. But that, the table would surely have looked different in some way, even if an insignificant way to some clubs. I was just one final thing before we move on, which is just that perhaps with offside, and they can't really do that now because, as I've said, the genie's at the bottle. Perhaps with offside. Bearing in mind that regular football um, watchers, both in stadium and on TV, um, have kind of been used to it not being over-analysed because obviously VAR didn't exist until a couple of years ago. Um, Perhaps just don't show the replay. Perhaps just say, we're checking it, checking it, offside. We're checking it, checking it, goal stands. Because barring the tin four hat brigade, you get on the internet anyway, it's going to scream conspiracy about anything, whatever happens. You might just save yourself a little bit of flack and and the optics would be a lot better, but they can't really do that now. Then people will know that it's being controlled by Stockley Park. People will know for sure. Oh, Stockley Park's an anagram for devil loves rugby. um, (laughs) But I think they are doing that, aren't they? Isn't it the case that they're not going to be showing the replays as much? I think potentially in in, in the past season or past few seasons, they actually just wanted to try and make some drama out of it, which just ended up pissing everybody off. Well, the Americans liked it, didn't they? In MLS, it all was lively. Ooh, go to the screen. Here's a cheerleader. That's how it was. (laughs) Yeah, look, there's some Champions League qualifiers last night. And they were all right, actually. Um, Rangers lost their first leg of their Champions League qualifier 2-1 away at Malmo. Rangers were 2-0 down until Stephen Davis's deflected strike from the edge of the box in the 95th minute. How good was that? Just the 36 years old, Jim. Oh, yep. man, they they looked ecstatic. I know, obviously, they still lost the first leg. But as Steven Gerrard pointed out, and you really can't argue with this, going into the second leg 2-1 down is better than going in 2-0 down. Good to get confirmation. Yeah, Absolutely great to get confirmation. <laughs> that wasted as a manager, should be a pundit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, he's, his, record, his record in these European qualifiers is decent, old uh, Steven Gerrard. And I think the commentator was saying last night, last night was perhaps the first one he's lost. I hope I haven't got that wrong. And um, it, it, you know, joking aside, it is huge for them because you know Malmo are in the middle of their season. Let's not forget. I mean, their yeah, season runs from May yeah. through to December, um, so they're probably up and running and feel like they're fully up to speed. So it's a big ask for Rangers. Um, but they, it's kind of weird because the first half was really even, and the second half they just caught got caught out straight away at the start of the second half, not once but twice. And then they had to kind of battle their way back into it. But it's absolutely right. I think what Stephen Gerrard was supposed to say, and I, I did watch the post-match interview, I think what he meant was, that because he, he kept referring to the fact that something massive here has happened at the end of this game. Something huge has gone on. There's a big event at the end of this game, which means a lot for us. And that, you know, So what he's talking about is that, look, we're still alive and kicking in this, and we've got a chance now. Um, and so... I do think it was a it was a it was a really important goal for obvious reasons. Stephen Davis just swinging his thirty six year old mm. leg at it and getting a goal. It's great to see. Um, he played last time Rangers played Malmo, I think, which was ten years ago. He was playing then as well, so um, wow. great to see. Uh, it was actually great to watch um, some some actual football, like some club football, because yeah. shaking off that. Um, international tournament hangover takes ages yeah um, you you still wake up with you know that fucking atomic kitten song in your head every morning for about two weeks after, after yeah. particularly anyway. when england get to oh. a final so oh, um, God. do you, do you remember waking up the morning after the final with three lines in my head felt like torture 
Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Let's stick. Let's focus. Let's focus our attention. You know, no, like they say, with mindfulness, we've got to we've got to be in this moment. Yeah. So yeah, yeah Sorix and Veliko Bermansevich scoring two great goals in this one. Actually, I thought quite enjoyable to the point about club football. And yeah, all right, I'm taking the piss out of Steven Gerrard, which I really shouldn't do. Uh, it's a good point. I think Rangers. One of my friends who's a Rangers fan uh, said that you know they do actually feel confident going into the second leg here. And they're looking... Well, they should do because Gerard's record for, at Rangers has been great. I mean, you know, we can take the piss out of him if all you like. I mean, he's still got he's still a young manager. He's only just forty one. Um, he's done a great job um, as far as as far as Rangers are concerned, and I'm sure with respect to them, he'll go on to to do even better things if based on what we've seen so far. Mm. Um, Celtics. Um, Celtic's um, result against um, Michelin doesn't look so good because they got ap- Michelin got absolutely battered last night um, uh, by PSV. It was uh, and that and that Jim that 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 goal celebration you were talking to me about earlier was amazing, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. It the, I forget the player's name, the first player that scored for PSV, but he's uh, he basically leapt over the advertising hoardings and just like <laughs> he he clearly didn't think about a landing at all because he just absolutely stacked it. But he did that thing. Where like, and as a man who's fallen over many times in his life, I'm familiar with this. You just get straight back up. You just get straight back up like it didn't happen. There was also great names on display last night in in the games. I mean, you wanted to talk about um, who's the player you want to talk about, Kate? No, I did. Well, I I I was told that the player was called Innocent Bonky, but actually, it's, <laughs> <laughs> actually, it's actually bon, bon, I don't actually know how to pronounce his first name, unfortunately. But it's the other way around. Bon, bonker Innocent, maybe. Um, yeah, but you say you say you were told this. You sent several WhatsApp messages about it to no response, but continue to ke- continue to do so. You were yeah. you were all in on bonky innocent for sure. As a point, yeah. Dexter or whatever it is, I often find that my messages go unreplied, so I don't really <laughs> doesn't really I didn't really yeah. notice to be honest. Um, um, Gerard was saying that uh, Rangers had to six or seven players who needed to improve for the next game, which I think is probably fair enough given that. James Tavernier basically gifted Anders Christensen the ball for yeah. the second goal, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, hey, honourable mention to Conor Goldson, who set, effectively kind of set up the the Rangers goal with a head like a traction engine. Hope he likes that. <laughs> Can we also have an honourable mention for Fashion Sakala? Uh, yeah, Junior Fashion, fashion Sakala. Yeah, it's, it sounds shirt. like it sounds like Junior Fashion Sakala sounds like a kind of charity event for young designers um, <laughs> in in East London, uh, is a, and to, as Jim says, to have Fashion Junior on your back is fa- absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Great, huge to see. move. Yeah, so ultimately a sort of neutral, let's say, result for Rangers, showing their power uh, at the end there. And we're going to get to a break now and tell you about a bit of Olympics football after this, and some news about Lukaku. Hi, I'm Danny Welbeck, and you're listening to the Football Ramble. All right, welcome back to the Football Ramble. Me and Luke and Jim in your ears today. And now it's time for a few of these. So Chris Brooking has been in touch and he has a little bit of a conundrum that he needs 
help with from both ourselves and from you, our dear listeners. Chris says, me and my eight-year-old son are Villa fans. And ever since the Euros, he's wanted a home and away strip with a number seven. And you guessed it, Grealish on the back. Despite trying to break it to him casually, he's still absolutely determined. Clearly, getting the kit is a gamble. And really, it's high time he learned about football's economic inequality and that it is very likely that an Abu Dhabi-backed super club is about to scoop up his idol for their subs bench. On the other hand, do I want to corrupt his pure perspective of the beautiful game? Do I preserve that and just take the financial hit? Or do I show him the facts, give him an Ashley Young shirt and tell him a pigeon will shit in his mouth if he doesn't take it on the chin? (laughs) Don't tell him. How old is this kid? Don't tell eight, him that. Eight. Oh, God. Eight. <laughs> oh, my goodness me. I, I, I'm torn here because, I mean, I, first of all, I'm pleased that um, Chris Brookings got to the stage of his life where he feels like he needs to ask us for advice about his own yeah. kid. But, yeah, more of that. Uh, yeah, but I feel like it is a kind of rite of passage that you're, you're a player you like from your club will mm. leave. And I don't necessarily think, in essence, that is to do with modern football that much. Now, I understand the problems with, you know, this this kind of um, unlimited funds that these certain clubs have, particularly when the when COVID has relaxed these financial fair play rules. But ultimately, I mean, I grew up supporting Portsmouth, as you all know, and players leave all the time. You know, I, I remember Darren Anderson being my favourite player in like, in like the early 90s, and he was yeah. brilliant. And then he yeah. went off to Spurs. And it was like, well, yeah, unfortunately, thanks, that's just part of the pecking order. So I think... I probably would get him the shirt with Grealish on the back. And I think I would sit down with him if, even when Grealish leaves and say, look, this is kind of how it works sometimes, particularly when you support Villa. But the good news is, you know, you support your local team. You know, you, you know, there's a lot more to it than just one player. And it's all about the club and about the fans and about the camaraderie and the community and all the rest of it. Now, I understand that might be a bit of an overload for an eight-year-old. And I do respect the fact the time might be a problem because he might literally leave the day after or something (laughs) but but i think it's the only way you can go about it i think i disagree i think you cannot you cannot get that shirt because either he won't wear it because it'll be too sad right so it's sort of pointless or if he goes around wearing it it'll be a laughing stock at school do you remember what school was like people will be they'll be you'll be getting called a poindexter left right and center you'll be getting crushed (laughs) You can't, you can't invite that into his life. And I say this as a, as a young man who grew up in Essex with a goalkeeper's shirt with semen on the back. I learned very quickly that these things can go awry. Oh, no. I thought we were building into this whole principle that I've, I've been working on a bit and we've talked about a bit about football when you're a kid teaching you life lessons, right? You know, learning about yeah. loss and... Yeah. I mean, by extension, death, but you get what I mean. And flags. Like, I think, I think I, yeah. you know where what? flags are from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, think I... I mean, that's a slightly yeah less deep version of it, I guess, Jim. Uh, but exactly. So so I think Luke is leaning towards that with his with his whole analysis about it. And I actually, I suppose I'd, t- I'd tie the two of these answers together, right, you guys? And I'd say, yeah, probably don't get the shirt, but and have the conversation although in a way that means your eight-year-old loses twice doesn't it to me it just felt like a whole coded message from a listener to us saying that i don't really want to set fire to 60 quid can you just tell me that i shouldn't that's a great point (laughs) yeah mate you uh chris you don't you don't have to spend your money on anything really maybe just get just spend your afternoon i know what he should do spend your afternoon drawing a lovely picture of jack Grealish with your son and that'll be a life lesson or, and a, a beautiful moment that he'll remember forever. Or why don't you both just agree between you to start supporting Man City? 
<laughs> He's young enough that it's probably fine. We sh- we should also clarify like you do need to spend some money, Chris. Do continue to clothe and feed your child. <laughs> oh, I'll use it on the Patreon subscription to the Ramble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> no, I certainly didn't expect the Ramble to be answering these kind of parenting-based questions, guys. And I, I don't know that we're necessarily equipped, but um, if you've got any other questions, listeners, for us to solve, and you think we did okay, you mm. know, the jury's out on that, uh, then feel free to send them in. Show at footballramble.com. Tweet us at footballramble. We love to hear from you. Uh, the weirder the better. I don't know why I've yeah, said that. And if, the, and if they're about that. parenting, maybe just wait until Andy's on the show because he's the only parent among us. He's got a and, lot of uh, parenting advice. His two kids are lovely, so he's done a brilliant job there. So I'm sure he is someone you can actually listen to on parenting. Yeah, that's a good bit of advice. Uh, yeah, so the Olympics men's final has been decided, everybody. It's going to be Brazil against Spain, which seems like a fitting final for a, for a big tournament, even though you know, sort of slightly crept up on on us. Brazil progressed to the third successive Olympics final they've been in. They beat Mexico on penalties in a a rematch of the 2012 Olympics final, which actually Mexico won. Um, Mexico afterwards, Mexico, one of their midfielders, Uriel Antuna, said penalties are a lottery, which is how they lost, which, yeah, kind of, guys, but I don't know if you saw the the shootout, Jim, or or read about it. They were 3-0 down, Mexico, on penalties after five. So, they're kind of a lottery. <laughs> they're not a lottery. Are they? yeah. It's amazing that no. any professional footballer still, at like any point in the world, still says that. It's astonishing. Yeah. And also, Mexico, if they, if they are a lottery, you don't appear to have even bought a ticket there. Ticket. So yeah. you're very unlikely to win it. Yeah. I was reading a really interesting article um, uh, on, I think it was on ESPN uh, last night, about Brazil and their relationship with Olympic football, which is really fascinating. I think we've covered yeah. it on the show in the in the years gone by, because for and it was written by Tim Vickery, the excellent Tim Vickery, uh, who's available everywhere. You should definitely check him out when it comes to matters of South American football. He's brilliant. Um, and it was, I think, it was understood for a very long time that because Brazil had never won the Olympic gold. Um, that that's why they were becoming more and more obsessed with it because obviously Brazil and football and winning everything is kind of a thing. But then they won gold in 2016, right? And Tim, Vick, I remember Tim saying that he expected their obsession with it to end and it would focus back more on the World Cup, which they're obviously very well storied in as well. But it actually hasn't. I mean, they're, they're, they, they, if you look at how seriously they're taking this Olympics, they've chosen the full limit of overage yeah. players. Um, whereas you look at, for example, other South American teams have, have started to use it more as an opportunity to blood young players and use it for development and take into account things a lot of travel involved and all the rest of it. Brazil are going kind of hell for leather. Like Danny Elvis is like leading the charge, like some kind of yeah. Spartan, you know, at the front of, of the army. And and and, and apparently Danny Elvis is 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 what part of the reason Danny Elvis is well into this Olympics because he wants to he wants to be in the Brazil squad for the World Cup next year. Yeah. He's thirty eight. And he plays for Brazil. It's incredible. He's won 43 trophies. It's just great to see. Isn't he the most decorated player in history? Yeah, 43 trophies. It's astonishing. But I mean, he's he's Mm. been playing in midfield for Brazil, hasn't he? It's just, it's, it's just, it's amazing. The man's an absolute machine and I love it so much. He looks like Mm. a different man now as well. (laughs) (laughs) He looks like a different man all the time because he's so fashionable. Yeah. And he, and he, and he, like, he's he's fashion senior. Yeah, he, he, he is. He is. <laughs> See, yeah, he is. Imagine if he had that at the back of his shirt. But he looks great. Oh, he just always looks great. You know, you know when men mature with age, right? David Beckham's never looked any, never looked better. He's just never looked better. And it, yeah. and, and the fact that 
Danny Alves has maintained his physique, but he also looks rugged and he dresses well and he's obviously got loads of money and he's just, he just looks amazing all the time. Yeah. This is taking me back to the Giroud stuff on Monday. It's, it's a crossroads, isn't it? I think he needs to protect him. He, he, Alves is kind of like if there was a movie about them both, Alves would be like the bad guy from like the, the wrong side of the tracks and Giroud would be like the kind of the, the, good, the good kid, you know? Yeah, you can yeah. tell that they are because one grooms their eyebrows more than the other. I think See, when you're a footballer, I do think there's a lot of time in the afternoons. And when the, when the players are young, um, obviously on non-match days, when the players are young, they play Call of Duty or they play FIFA or whatever. And when they get a bit older, they really get into personal grooming, a lot of them. And I quite yeah, like yeah, it. Yeah. Particularly yeah, absolutely. That's actually how it's gone for it's you, good. Jim, isn't it? Oh, it's well, I think you, you get to a point, don't you, where you you reach a certain age and you got, you're at a crossroads, which is you can you can try and become sort of like like one of those men, um, yeah. well groomed John Ham figure, or the other option is just a sort of ham figure, just ham. <laughs> you can, can look I like a big Jim? glob of ham. <laughs> when I got to that crossroads, I didn't have any service on my phone. My sat nav wasn't working, so I didn't know which way to go. <laughs> right. A uh, quick word on Christian Romero. Uh, Spurs have, well, their offer has been accepted by Atalanta. Uh, 50 million euros plus 5 million add-ons. Um, Barcelona apparently never in the race after all, which kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Given that they don't seem to have any money for anything and they need to get rid of all of their players mainly. Uh, I don't know, Jim, to be honest, much about uh, Atalanta really, apart from that they're wild to watch. And I don't know if that makes me feel... That we that Spurs are going to have a really like confident, calm back line as a result of this. I well, don't they, know. Yeah, I think well they're wild in an attacking sense, aren't they? But they had a very, very exactly. good defensive um, record in the Champions League last season. So, which I know is irrelevant to you. Um, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's definitely definitely an improvement. It's, it's what Spurs need to be looking at. I don't know if there's any other transfer business knocking around Spurs at the moment. It's, it all seems to have gone a little bit quiet on that front. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting to me how. There's talk as well, briefly touching on Barcelona, that they probably won't have Messi registered for the start of the season, which is absolutely astonishing to look at that, that sort of mess going on there. But yeah, I mean, I mean, you've got to be happy with Romero coming in, right? This is a good bit of business, good right age profile coming from yeah, a, a, a team that have achieved a lot. Yeah, and have yeah, been in the Champions League. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think uh, the key point about Romero is mainly just that there was a stated ambition to get it done. He's a big signing and the deal seems to have been done. So I think for Spurs yeah. fans, that's probably probably uh, one of the main things. Uh, Spurs, <laughs> the big news elsewhere in Spurs land is that uh, they've confirmed they've reached an agreement with Celtic for Joe Hart. Oh, Luke, you'll be sad to see him go. Poor old Joe. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I wish him all the best. I, I, I mean, obviously he's not, um, he's not done, not featured an awful lot for Spurs, and I think it probably on paper it looks like quite a good move for him at this stage in his career. Um, he, he, he'll, I, I imagine, I imagine he'll have a good time up there. On the, um, on the Romero thing, it's, it's Paratici doing his work, right? Paratici using his connections, getting them. Um, players in but sadly I mean by the way you know, Spurs fans will not forgive me if I don't bring this up Jim if you're talking about Spurs not worrying <laughs> about Champions League I mean this is, Arsenal aren't worried about any kind of European football this hey, season so don't I'm worry not, about it hey I'm not worried about being a hypocrite so I'm fine with that <laughs> that's a good point actually <laughs> it's like a superpower if you stop caring about being a hypocrite it's like a superpower I promise you <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of the side effects for Jim getting the um, getting the COVID vaccine actually Oh, yeah. He's not. Um, he's not worried about being a hypocrite anymore. But Shameless. I just wanted to say, um, shameless is what he sorry, is. Sorry to be a complete um, 
pain in the ass to Spurs fans. But I mean, ultimately, um, it's, it's the kind of player they can get, right? A, 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 a no, he's, he's a no nonsense kind of defender who, who, I mean, that Spurs had a sniff at Jules Kounde, who wouldn't really entertain the idea of going there because he wants to play for a Champions League club. It's clear that Romero is fine to play in the Premier League in London, and Paratici's connections have got the move done. But you know, Spurs aren't fishing in the really hot big pools because they're not in the Champions League. It's as simple as that. So, but, I mean, that's with that in mind, though, that's an excellent signing, isn't it? Like that, I think it is. I think uh, I, I think it, I think it's probably the best best type of sign they could go for. But the the worry for me would be that I believe he's played in the three a lot um, at Atalanta, and I, and I'm 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 hearing and I'm reading that that Nuno wants to play the back four for Spurs and Romero's got to slot in there, and he's also not a left sided centre back either. So it's quite interesting to see how it all shakes out. But I mean, you know, either way, it's a win win for me. I don't support Spurs or Arsenal. Yeah. I don't give a shit. Yeah. And yeah. also, I mean, I don't he's, want to go too it, wildly into this, but yeah. But it looks like it's been fairly rapidly moved along. So you got to imagine that Christian Romero's brother must be quite a good agent. Yeah, <laughs> just dust it in while the whole Kane thing's yeah. going on. Just just walking through the room. We got this one in. Cheers. Right back on with Kane. <laughs> and how and how good is Romelu Lukaku's mother, Adolphine? Apparently, she's key yeah. in this story about Chelsea going all in for Lukaku. And they've had two bids rejected for Romelu Lukaku. The latest was an eighty-five million pound offer. Uh, Inter apparently happy to take around hundred million pounds. I'm sure they are. But anyway, Dolphin says, "Oh, she seems to have played a big role in his arrival and departure at Everton." Jim, this is listen to your mum yeah. is not always I a good that. piece of advice in football. I would say. Although I don't know. You're I well think into Everton... old Neymar's dad, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Neymar's dad is uh, is a fascinating man. If you do a bit of reading up on him, he um, it just got everyone eating out of the palm of his hand. Um, it's fun, fascinating <laughs> stuff. Um, you can hear more about that on the book club show we did with Tarek Panja, of course. Um, so yeah, yes. I mean, like, do you think do you think Lukaku's probably not getting a bit bored as moving around all the time though? <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't think that um, players at the top level should be using family members as advisors. I think it's the <laughs> most ridiculous thing. That, I don't come up kind of specifically this transfer window, but it's absolutely ridiculous. We've had Rabiot's mother kicking off during the Euros. Yeah, um, Lukaku's been advised by his mother. Um, Harry Kane's brother, who to to me looks like an absolute clown, and. All this other stuff's going on. Now, the point I'm making here is not that you shouldn't pride yourself on speaking to your family or loving or respecting your family. These family members can give you advice anyway. You don't have to make them your official representative. Why not get an agent who actually knows the business? It's a professional business with a lot of money in it, and you might find that things are a little bit easier for you. It happens time and time again. It's absolutely ridiculous to my mind. But agents are snakes in many cases, Luke. You can see why someone might feel like... Not not necessarily for players, though. Mm, They're yeah. not for players, though, are they? I mean, generally speaking, you talk about... If people complain about agents, of course there are some bad ones, but there are some good ones as well. And mm. a lot of the time, it's not really... You don't really hear players moaning about their agents. The players are the ones who have benefited from it a, long, a lot of the time. Of course, the agents are as well. My point being, what are the chances then? Let me put it another way. What are the chances then that Harry Kane, for example, who is England captain, the best person in the world to represent him happens to be his own brother? It, the chances are astronomically low. What an extraordinary low. coincidence. That's so <laughs> yeah, exactly. <exciting. laughs> and on the Lukaku thing, I find it interesting, actually, because... He said, he gave a statement or did an interview, I think, last month saying he's happy where he is. Um, and 
obviously Chelsea need a striker. We saw that. We know that anyway, but we saw the chances they missed against Arsenal in that friendly win uh, a, a while back. But what's happened at Inter is that they need money, that Conte, the manager's left, that apparently Lataro Martinez, who's his strike partner, is also leaving. So has been heavily linked with moves away because they need to raise money and because he's got interest from elsewhere. So it might well be that actually all the well, a lot of the reasons that Lukaku wants to stay are actually taken away from him anyway. And so he may move on. Yeah, I, I've heard that Chelsea are after Haaland or Lukaku, um, and it'll be one of those two. But apparently, Haaland, Dortmund are determined to keep Haaland for another season as well. So Dortmund's strategy is, in a way, it's similar to Leicester's, isn't it? It's sell a big player every summer, and they've, they've done that with Sancho this year. So, and I think there's a talk of there's a release clause in there with Haaland next summer that would make him a bit bit more affordable, still astronomical, but a bit less crazy than it would be this summer. So I think that will that will wait for then. But let's say let's say Chelsea do get Lukaku. That makes them like a, a serious, serious challenge for the title, doesn't it? I think oh, they are anyway time. because of the, the improvement they had under Tuchel. And obviously, we're talking about the Champions of Europe here. They've got a really, really deep squad. I think they're being forgotten about a little bit because everyone's thinking about what City are going to look like lining up potentially with Kane and with Grealish um, and thinking it's like they're just going to steamroll of the league and that it's actually a bit sad for the Premier League because it might just be so much of a one-horse race. But I don't think Chelsea uh, are going to let that be the case, really. There's a hell of a squad there. And the way both of these teams are raising money just by selling off the the uh, the supposed Deadwood is is it's quite amazing really. It's like you know how FIFA used to talk about their 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 big pot of cash being a surplus. We've we've talked for years and years about <laughs> Chelsea and City stockpiling players, and this is what it's for, isn't it? It's players to sell for a rainy day. So that when yeah. things get a little bit tough in something like a global pandemic, you can still uh, still raise funds. Yeah, well, Victor Moses, Olivier Giroud, Marco Van Ginkel, all gone, obviously. Um, But there is this interesting point, clearly, if you're trying to buy back a player uh, like Romelu Lukaku, it will raise the spectre of a number of other people that you're letting go, or maybe younger people, perhaps. So, Fikayo Tamori is gone, and Mark Guay to Palace as well. uh, Tino Livramento joined Southampton on Monday. Uh, he is thought to have been one of the academy's best players in recent times. So yeah. Chelsea have got a buyback on him, twenty-five million pounds. But you can see why there might be feelings of like, you know, is there is this surplus being handled correctly given the money that they're now spending or hoping to spend on Romelu Lukaku? Luke? Yeah, I think I think Livermento particularly is very very highly rated. Heard heard a lot about him, although not seen him play very much. I mean. The the idea that Chelsea won't be a contender this season, I think, is fanciful. Come, come what may, I mean, I think if, if they if they pick up a top level striker who's ready to go now in Lukaku, um, then I think they're a serious serious contender. And I agree with Jim. I think they are anyway. I think if you look at Man City and Chelsea, you know, Man United have strengthened really well as well. It's going to be a really fiercely mm. competitive top of the table. I mean, it kind of is anyway with the Premier League normally, but you do occasionally see one or two teams run away with it. Very, very hard to predict this season. And I think now that um, Tuchel's won that big Champions League, of course he came really close before he came to Chelsea, I think that'll give him extra confidence. And and, and the guy is not lacking in confidence anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I think they'll be a really fascinating prospect this season. They've got everything going for them. Just need to get that final piece in the puzzle, I think, that will sustain them across a long um, 38 game league season like Marcus always says you know not always the best team wins the Champions League because because you know lots of different uh, factors but really the best team does win the Premier League because it's so long and drawn out and I think Chelsea could do with that top level striker and they could have done with it for, for a wee while now 
Um, it's funny to me that they, obviously they had Lukaku before and they let him go. Um, but would he have had that development had he not moved on? And, and if they buy him back, do they care? Probably not because, you know, the financial fair play thing has been relaxed. Money's no object to them, really. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope he does come back to the Premier League because I think he's a great player and I enjoy watching him play. Yeah, and Thomas, on the subject of uh, squad players as well, Luke, Thomas Tuchel says that Ruben Loftus-Cheek has got the opportunity to prove himself um, after it looked as though he was going to be offloaded. So, yeah, what a team. It, yeah. What a team. He can prove himself Chelsea to me side. anytime. Hello. Uh, <laughs> it's quite a young man, Luke. Um, <laughs> What are you trying to say about me? This has been quite a pervy episode of the Ramble. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm, not sure. <laughs> I'm equal opportunities. I love Danny Alves as well. I told you. Yeah. And if you're enjoying all the perviness, uh, please do get over to Apple Reviews and give us a five star if you if you wouldn't mind. Uh, or wherever you get your pods. It means a lot to us and it will help all the new listeners that we hope to win. Find the show on tomorrow. It is Marcus, Pete and Andy. It's been an absolute delight, guys. Thanks for sharing this uh I don't know, for absolutely necessary contact time with me. Jim, it's been lovely to see your face. <laughs> yeah, yours too. And likewise, Luke, good to see you. Yeah, good to see your faces as well. I wish they were Danny Alves's, but we can't have everything. And it's a goodbye <laughs> from me as well. Thanks very much for listening. See you next time. That's a great point. We will see you next time. Take care, guys. The Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.